I'm Jim Antonopoulos. I'm Damien Carolla. This is Fearless Conversations. Hey, here we are. Here we are, Jim. Happy, what is it, Thursday, Wednesday, Friday? It's the, it's the blur. I don't know what day it is, to be honest. Um, let's just call it Friday. Even let's though- call it Friday. That kind of makes you feel a little, little bit better, doesn't it? Yeah, that's right. Even though the calendar says otherwise. Um, how, are you, how are you? How's it going? Yeah, yeah, good. I mean, um, I think we mentioned earlier uh, just as a compressed activity during the day and, and the time flies and you don't know exactly where you are and what you've been doing the last few hours. So it's just a, so it's just a bit of a, it's just an ongoing crazy week. Yeah. What, what about you? Yeah, pretty much the same, you know, just for context, we're recording this in uh, Melbourne's, what week is it? Is it the fifth week of uh, stage four lockdown? Um, it's the fifth week of stage four lockdown. And I think it's about 25 weeks into sort of the COVID isolation um, yeah. lockdown process. That's right. It's, um, so we're recording this uh, in separate locations and as we have done previous episodes and uh, we're both based in Melbourne, different parts of Melbourne, and we're in stage four. So that's a little bit of context for you. But, <laughs> uh, and I'm sure other parts of the world, um, and we've got listeners from around the world, well, I'm sure other parts of the world are experiencing even worse um, restrictions, even stricter restrictions, I should say, than we are. That's for sure. It's probably good context, isn't it? It's, there's a lot worse going on right now on the, on the planet, so um, it's always good to get some perspective on this, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. That's without a doubt. But, um, you know, our experience here is going day to day, really. You know, we're managing the kids, we're managing our business and our health and our well-being as best we can. Yeah, yeah, it's... Um and there's the grind within all of that, which is okay. It's just okay to acknowledge that there is a, a persistent grind um, and there's a consistent, uh, 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 you know, tiredness or, or sort of uh, lethargy that uh, creeps into the body every day or two or three days or whatever it is. And it's actually not bad. It's just what it is. It's just, but it's good to acknowledge that stuff, isn't it? Without a doubt, and I think that's um, some, it's, a, it's an important spe- step that we sometimes overlook. You know, just acknowledging the state we're in. Yeah, I think so, Jim. And um, what about today? Uh, what are we talking about today? Well, we covered this briefly uh, a few episodes ago, and we I think we just dropped a comment that we would be doing this uh, the topic of imposter syndrome. So we I think it's time we we tackle it. <laughs> Mate, let's get into it. Why don't we just rip the band over and just, just launch into what it is, where it comes from, and, and maybe our experiences. And I think that we can possibly talk about ways and strategies that we've come around this, um, yeah, and, and perhaps how, how it shows up. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure, you know, our career, both of our careers have been going for a, a nice chunky three decades and um, I'm sure you, you've experienced, I'd love to hear your any stories from you of experiencing imposter syndrome or even in moments in your career where you've thought to yourself, damn, this, I'm not good for this. This isn't for me. It's, Jim, it's, um, it's, it's incredibly interesting. There's, there's a couple of schools of thought in coaching and psychology and science where some people actually say if you haven't experienced imposter syndrome at some point, I'm not sure that you, um, you're being completely honest. And there's other research that tells us they, they reckon that at, at least up to 70% of individuals have had this experience at some point in their life. And I actually think that's possibly a little bit conservative as well. 
Oh, I agree. I think if I agree, I think we've all experienced that everyone has at some point. If you haven't, then I question humanity really. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Well, how about we just like um, maybe just define what what it, what we're actually talking about? And there's a Tell few me. different. Tell me, yeah. what do you think? Can you give me the parameters of imposter syndrome? How far does it go? What's the core? What's at the core of it? Oh, it's- yeah, it's and you know it actually gets a little bit messy because there's other stuff that does kick into it. But let's just talk about imposter syndrome just as this sort of raw definition. It's, it's, it's I guess it's this notion of believing that other people think you are better than you know you really are. Mm. Yeah, so it's this sense that I'm out of my depth. I'm going to get found out. Yeah, that feeling of inadequacy, self doubt, self doubt, inadequacies, and, and and there's also a bit of a perfectionist syndrome that can also creep into that which is that overcompensation and needing to overachieve or prove something so that you don't get found out and that you really are the real deal so it's it's like a construct with messy pieces but ultimately just for this definition it's that notion that you know maybe i'm going to get found out and maybe i'm in the wrong role and it's way beyond my skills and capacities so it's a it's 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 something that if you're pushing out into the world and you're trying to do new things, um, I, th- I think it's a pretty common experience. If we have to be, if I had to be honest, it's um, when when I do a lot of coaching, we work with entrepreneurs and leaders. Um, some of the most accomplished people that you can think of uh, suffer it, have suffered it, and encounter it on a regular basis. And these are people that, I guess, run fairly significant organisations and and have a long track record of success. So I think the first thing that we want to probably say around that is it's it's pretty natural. It's actually not a big deal. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it certainly is. Uh, but what I like what you said, you know, a construct of messy pieces, I, I really like that. Yeah, it's, it, you know, the, the construct of messy pieces are, you know, there's that, uh, you'll see people and we've all often suffered from that need to be perfect and need to get things right. Mm. I've got to be absolutely thoroughly competent and I've got to really, really not make any mistakes around this or else. And you know what that or else uh, is? Or what? else I'm not good enough. Or else I'm a failure. Yeah, or else I don't stack up. And so can we see where imposter syndrome starts to creep in? Mm. Mm. You know, and, and, and you and I have often made the distinction between the perfectionist and a natural professional sort of um, objective to have really high quality work and to have work that really stacks up, that reflects your brand. That's not perfectionism. That's just attention to detail mm. and wanted, wanting to achieve excellence. But when we talk about perfectionism, we're talking about this dogmatic, you know, success or failure. There's not a lot of grey. Does that does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah, it certainly does. I like the um, connection between those sort of those very internal feelings of inadequacy and not deserving your success, but also the pairing of those with um, being a perfectionist. Because sometimes those things, we, when we see two people in in the office displaying those two traits separately. Um, we think they're two different types of personality or two different things, but in fact they could be both 
demonstrations of imposter syndrome. You know, one person demonstrates uh, these traits of absolute perfectionists trying to labor over the minutest thing and get it perfect before it's, and actually experiencing quite a high level of anxiety around getting it perfect, getting it done. I'm very common in the design industry. And the other person demonstrates feelings of just kind of debilitating inadequacy and, you know, not not deserving the level of success, not just, not necessarily perfectionism, but just that sort of, you know, woe is me kind of feeling. Yeah, that's a pairing of those two things. It's a, it's the, they're good examples because we do see them within ourselves and we often witness those within people around us. Mm. And you, you see how people get stuck uh, in that stuff. They get stuck in those sort of scarcity based constructs and belief systems. Mm. And, you know, people often say, where does this stuff come from? And it, it comes from a lot of places and it's, it's different for, for lots of people, but it's something that will get reinforced in our culture. You know, let's say you're a young leader um, stepping into a, a serious role and you're around, you know, I'll give you, you know, for want of a better term, an example of, uh, you know, one um you know, demographic of, of leaders who are far older than you from a certain background and you've come in from a diverse background, you know, what's the first message? There's a tacit message that our culture reinforces around where people should be or shouldn't be. It's gender, it's age, it could be a mixture of cultural background where you come from. You can sort of see how the culture can reinforce, hey, you're not meant to be here, this is not your role, um, mm. you know, uh, you're meant to be from this background, in this order, with this expertise and experience. So there's a, a tacit cultural notion that reinforces this. Does that, does that sort of make sense? Have you, have you seen some of that come across industry? Completely, you know, completely. Um, I completely see that. And you can see that occurring across all those domains that you've outlined, uh, cultural differences, ethnicity, uh, gender and age, absolutely. All of those areas, you'd play that would imposter syndrome would definitely play out across all of those domains. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and you can see age age at both ends in, in a tech world. Yeah, yeah. Um, what happens to, to to women and men over the age of fifty in a, in a highly agile tech environment? Mm. What happens to, to junior uh, developers and people, you know, in their early 20s? So you can sort of see how those cultural norms either kick people out or push them out of certain roles where, where they should or shouldn't be. Uh, and it's, it's fascinating. It happens all over the place. Yeah, it sure does. It sure does. You can even even the inadequacy around qualifications, people feeling they should have achieved certain level of academic qualifications or they should have a certain hierarchical job title attached to their name on LinkedIn. Um, those That could be debilitating. Yeah, and, and there's a word that you use in there, Jim, should, should not, must, must not. So... You can see where dogma and, and language um, plays into this. So sort of this dogmatic, um, he shouldn't be there, she shouldn't be in that role, uh, he hasn't done the yards, uh, she's not qualified, and you can see how culturally it's not just a language we have within ourselves, it's the judgments that we have within others despite necessarily ability or, or experience. We do actually tacitly shut people down and we have these biases that reinforce where people should or shouldn't be, which is often different to where they actually are in terms of the talent, skill, track record and, and things of that nature. Mm. Um, the other way we see uh, imposter syndrome come through a lot in social media and it's the sort of notion of, of, of where people present themselves as a measure of success. 
look how you know well I'm doing, look at my achievements, look at my background and track record. So then we start to rate ourselves based on what we see in media, in the mm-hmm. culture, and it's within that rating we start to compare ourselves and say, oh, I should be doing better or I'm not doing good enough or, or, or I haven't achieved this by this point in time because I look around me and look, everyone's doing really well. But when you peel the layers back, you kind of get the, a truer indication of where people are. Yeah, absolutely. I can hear. Um, there's also that uh, that sort of internal dialogue that happens around in, uh, people that suffer from imposter syndrome, and all of us, and we, all of us that do, um, that happens around that sort of negative self-talk that eventually uh, sees you going down a spiral. So yeah, that's that's uh, you and I often talk about that. Uh, awareness of the negative self-talk and making some of that unconscious internal dialogue, you know, bringing that out into a, a level of consciousness and just airing that out. And um, I, I love the fact that you've you've raised that with um, and just noticing when that comes up within each of us. Uh, I've often noticed when, you know, let's say we're on a new project or a new journey or a new venture or, or when you get asked to do something a little bit left field, that's where my imposter syndrome comes up. Mm. It's kind of like this, oh, can you really do this? Is this within your capacity? And the way I've learned to reframe it these days is for me when those feelings of inadequacy or imposter come up, that's an indication that I'm stretching. Mm. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually out of my comfort zone. And, in fact, the way you could reframe uh, imposter syndrome as a belief system, you can actually say it's actually really good when it comes up because it means you're actually pushing into uncharted territory. You're pushing into something that uh, you're not sure, you've got a bit of doubt and you're not sure how it's going to play out. And to be honest, if you're not feeling inadequate or a sense of doubt when you're pushing into a new territory, you're probably not pushing hard enough. Mm, yeah, it is a nice, it's nice to see, to, to see it through the lens of when I am feeling these feelings around that are that I guess parameters for imposter syndrome uh, to acknowledge the fact that you're out of your comfort zone and you're in a place where you actually should be because you are being stretched you are being expanded it's a nice lens to look at look through yeah I, I think so Jim and if you can if you can reframe um, that from that context then you know you don't really need to make it a big deal in fact when it does creep up rather than trying to fight it or, or identify onto that belief system, just say, well, actually, every time I expand or, or I'm on a new learning journey, there's a good chance that I'm going to feel inadequate. And if I'm not feeling inadequate, then I'm probably playing playing it way too safe. So this sense of uh, getting comfortable with this discomfort resilience and putting yourself into uncomfortable situations, the first thing that's going to come up is doubt, fear, inadequacy, possibly imposter and other related constructs that, that come up within each of us from time to time. But unless you're serious about your own growth and, and development journey, well, you, you're going to come across this stuff and just learning to be okay with it, learning not to push it down, learning not to um, kind of block it out and, and not identifying with it as part of your core um, identity. It's just something that is kicked around in culture. You may have picked it up back in the day. You may have picked it up from other people. Um, but it's actually not bad. It's probably a healthy thing to, to acknowledge and experience. Mm, mm, without a doubt. So acknowledging those feelings is um, a really important part or at least in the first step towards overcoming um, imposter syndrome, you know, pointing to them and saying, hey, 
I'm out of my comfort zone. This is a good place to be um, because I'm feeling this way. I think that makes complete sense to me. And I like that. I think the next time I feel that, I think that's exactly what I'll say to myself. The other thing that I find really helpful is actually talking about it, just actually putting words to these feelings and reaching out. Um, Even this conversation is really helpful to just frame that experience around uh, feeling like an imposter or feeling like a fraud, um, especially around failure or rejection or missing out on an opportunity, et cetera, et cetera. Just vocalizing it and talking to someone is a, is a really healthy way of um, shaping it and viewing it. What do you think? Oh, yeah, and, and Jim, you, you've, um, you've reminded me that, you know, the reason Brene Brown is getting such mass traction is she's one of the first people to put a, a beautiful lens on vulnerability. So she's actually giving people permission to feel like upside down, inadequate crap sideways. And all she's saying is that you already feel that. So let's just stop bullshitting and and I'll I'll go first and tell you how I feel. And all of a sudden everyone's going, geez, thank Christ. Someone's actually been honest enough to tell us how they feel. And that's that liberty of of bringing this stuff out into the air because we're already experiencing it. So why aren't we talking about it? And that's different to that. Um, we often talk about indulging, complaining, whining about it. You're actually, you're actually accepting responsibility, and you're bringing these feelings out into consciousness, which is a very powerful and empowering thing to give yourself, as let alone the others around you. Yeah, I completely. Yeah, I hear. You. I've been told that it's. Um, I'm not sure where I was told or where I read this, but I was. I read somewhere or was told that it's important to do some kind of personal um, audit just to understand one's strengths and weaknesses uh, to be able to respond to these sorts of things. So a kind of personal SWOT analysis to understand what my strengths are, what my weaknesses are, really deeply, intimately understand them so then when these feelings come up, you're able to then frame them around that. Have you heard of those sorts of things? Before? Yeah, that's that's a really good strategy because you're actually doing a bit of pre-work and you're actually bringing this stuff up rather than pushing it down and not acknowledging the truth of where you are with your skill sets and your strengths and weaknesses. It's a really healthy thing to come in and own some of that stuff. And as you bring it, as you bring that out into light and and do some work around that or even at least prepare a strategy as to how you might deal with some of these things. That's not avoidance. That's actually one deliberately wanting to experience where you are, um, both positive and negative. And I think that's a from a psychological sort of resilience perspective, that's bringing it out into the open. Um, so when, when these when things do come up, you've actually you've already done the work. Yeah. And it's a, you know, I don't think I see myself doing a personal SWOT analysis. I'm kind of one of those personality types. I would do that. But I don't think it's something that I would do, put away and expect that the, there'll be improvement immediately. I almost feel like that's a practice to go into, to have to uh, include over time rather than to do once. Uh, I see that sort of personal audit as a, an ongoing practice to understand my, my SWAT, my strengths, weaknesses, opportunities and threats. Yeah. What do you think? I mean, you always talk to me about this being a, a habit or a practice that's something that's ingrained as kind of business as usual in our lives. 
it's 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 the only lens. There's an infantile notion of you know. Let's talk about the four steps to overcoming imposter syndrome. That's just the biggest load of crap. People package up this type of development program in a, a three step, a four step, a four week course, and there is some good content out there. But there's the wrong message. The message is it's a lifelong learning experience. Mm. You you won't never you you you'll never overcome imposter syndrome. You'll reframe your relationship with it. It's like saying. I've overcome fear. I've overcome doubt. It's actually ridiculous. The only way to overcome fear and doubt is to probably be a bit of a psychopath, yeah, and so or, or to probably, you know, be fairly lucid on lots of drugs and, and try and sort of push all that stuff down, but it's eventually going to come up. But um, imposter syndrome, like many of the fear-based constructs, are just ones that we come to terms with and we don't have to identify ourselves with. Um, so it will keep popping up as all fear-based systems and constructs come up. But the more we avoid the, the discussion, the more we avoid airing these things out, the greater the hold um, they'll have over us. So mm-hmm. I love the fact that, you know, similar to a lot of the Brené Brown work around vulnerability, declaring where you're at and the sort of audit that you speak of is is the opposite of avoidance. It's bringing it out into the light. And, you know, and, and uh, you know the way you do a SWOT analysis, you know, it doesn't have to be detailed. It's probably something that you can do almost intuitively. You know, this is, these are my strengths and weaknesses. These are areas that I'd like to improve. And it's, that's not a big deal. You're just bringing it out into the light. But you're not identifying yourself with the weakness. You're just saying, well, these are areas that I'd like, I think I really need to work on. But it, it's not, it, it doesn't become your core identity, does it? No, not at all. Not at all. Absolutely not. And I think another thing we could do is really own, um, well, reframe. I really like that how you said you, you reframe your relationship with it. Also reframing our relationship with what success means is quite important and healthy. Um, I've, I don't think I'm a perfectionist at all. I, I'm pretty scrappy, actually. I write something down, I put it out into the world immediately. Um, but I have worked with some people in my career who have really demonstrated like hyper perfectionism, uh, which I don't relate to at all. Uh, don't understand that practice, but, and I do think their relationship with success is at odds with mine. Uh, they may have some sort of dysmorphic view of success uh, an inflated view of success that one that they may never achieve and that's what really brings them to practice or display perfectionism i do think well i really like what you said earlier around reframing relationships reframing our relationship with success allows us to see the small successes uh, the minor successes and their enormous transformational impact on our lives rather than having a view of success being something as something shiny on a mantelpiece or sitting standing behind a lectern receiving an award or a specific job title that um, I need to have next to my name. Uh, I really like that view and I think we can do the same thing with our successes. That, um, that recalibrating success and how we define it is critical to ongoing growth and development as we step into, let's call it a more conscious life, uh, a more innovative life, a life where we grow and expand. And if and, and it's you've hit upon a, such a, 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 a fantastic cultural concept that we've got to get our head around and we've got to get our head around the fact that um, heading out in the world, failing, 
or, or, or um, you know, making mistakes, learning and development is really the process of an ongoing learning cycle and a learning journey. And if our core goal in life is to learn, expand, grow and create impact and value, it's impossible for us to do that unless we fall down many times along the way. And so, um, you know, in Israel, they have one of the most successful entrepreneurial um, cultures around technology because they've kind of, they've, they've really adopted fail fast. They, they've uh, loosened up the, you know, the bankruptcy liquidation laws because they're actually encouraging new ventures to go in and correct and fail and learn and start again. And, and so they have a completely different definition of success. So they've actually got the model right. They know the evolution curve and they know that if you're going to do anything, you are going to fail on, on many layers and many levels, but uh, the venture might fail. And I think we mentioned before, that doesn't mean you failed as a person. It means you've adapted and you've learned something around what hasn't worked. And so how else do we grow? And so you know, measuring it in terms of accomplishments and achievements, which, which are either monetary or, or physical, is pretty one-dimensional, isn't it? Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I completely agree. And seeing those cultures and, you know, I, those principles of failing fast and uh, learning, and I'm sure there's imposter syndrome within those cultures, but seeing absolutely. that seeing those um, is really heartening. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, um, you know, I'd love to hear your stories. Like when's the, do you remember any early sort of anecdotes when you first felt uh, those, feel those imposter syndromes? Do you remember any sort of vivid experiences back in the day where, where they came up? Oh, I just, yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> uh, every day, uh, without a doubt, I experience those feelings every single day. You know, we, we spoke about them at our March 1st monthly members coaching session last month. And I'm sure it's going to be a topic of conversation uh, tomorrow, which is our next one, the September session. Uh, and we you know, really shared openly around our fears around imposter syndrome. But yeah, I, I don't have to look far. I don't have to look far into my career. And for those, um, you know, for those uh, people who, who feel that you know, imposter syndrome is something that they experienced when they only first started in their career and they no longer have that. Um, you know, I call bullshit on that because I've, I've worked with many and every day I interface with many uh, executives and uh, CEOs and leaders of organisations who, um, who I can see are sweating bullets and I can see are faking their way through things and trying to uh, achieve a level of perfectionism or readiness or achievement that isn't attainable for them and I can see the signs of imposter syndrome and sometimes I've even said to them you know if you just shed that skin if you just sort of drop that guard or you know stop the bullshit we could get this done Uh, we could get this done in a far easier way Um, but I can see that at the highest of levels and so I don't buy the fact that imposter syndrome is something that someone green or young or um someone from a marginalized community or a, or an ethnic background is are the only people who experience that everyone experiences it and they experience it regularly and they experience it all the time no matter whether they're standing on a stage often and you admire them or they're you know they're in your presence and in your feed constantly and you 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 look up to them i use the word look up in in quotes they're experiencing imposter syndrome in one way or another so i don't have to look far to answer your question you know i don't don't have to look far too far into the past it it happens often in my career 
Um, what about you? Yeah, yeah, love it. That's a, that's that's awesome, Jim. Um, sorry, I just cut you off. Your no, best. please. Um, there is a piece of psych research, um, and this is not for all people that don't have imposter syndrome, but there is a group of people that absolutely don't have imposter syndrome, and you know who they are? Mm. Who? The shysters. The shysters. Yeah. Um, actual yeah. imposters. So they're the, the cheaters, and, and it's a broad brush stroke, so I'm not, I'm not painting this as a mass generalisation, but generally con people um, will be the first people that tell you they do not have imposter syndrome. Mm. You know, I think I mentioned this in previous podcasts or maybe in our members coaching session, but I worked and I have to be careful around confidentiality here, but um, I, I work with, I worked with one specific board once and the meeting opened with uh, meditation. I think okay. I've told you this. Yes. And the person who facilitated the meditation was really just quite remarkable in the things they said. As we were meditating, we had our eyes closed, the room was silent, uh, 20 or so people in the room, really quiet, around a boardroom table, mind you. And they, would be, they were saying little things to us like, you know, if you brought a fear or a sense of being perfect or an ideal into this room, I need you to let it go. Yep. I need you, I need you to visualize it, leaving, at the door, leaving it at the door and coming down and sitting and bringing your true self to the seat. And... And then she, she said, um, you know, for those of you who didn't do that in that moment and those of you who just did a silent chuckle, I need you to reframe that and in quietly leave those things at the door. And it was such a remarkable way to start a meeting. Wow. Um, and, it, and I'm talking 20-odd people, board-level executive meeting, uh, really important kind of uh, wow. agenda, and it started in this way. And that was a really wonderful way of acknowledging that everyone has some form of um, fear, judgment, imposter syndrome, self-doubt, sense of perfectionism. And we need to just and she was asking us to just park those at the door and just bring ourselves into the meeting. Um, and that for me was ideal, was outstanding. Jim, that's that's remarkable that um an organisations have the courage to call out their humanity and just say, well, we're not robots, we're not just performance machines, there's something human within us. And when you're giving people complete permission to be who they are, that's actually, that's actually the irony is, that's actually when you get high performance. Yeah. yeah that's actually when you get big outcomes and, and it's almost a, a contradiction in terms. This perfectionist mentality, this needing to perform almost becomes a contradiction in terms because we know in high-performing teams, agile teams, um, they actually bring the humanity into the picture and that's where trust is built. That's where true uh, teamwork uh, and bonds are formed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's where organisations pivot beyond, um, you know, uh, their, their potential. And so that's what we see around uh, uh, high-performing teams across military sports and entrepreneurship when they're giving each other the permission to completely bring themselves into the picture. It's kind of where true innovation comes from, isn't it? Yeah, without a doubt. And, um you know, I've certainly I've run programs around innovation culture in the past and I'm running one in the next couple of weeks. And, uh, and I hope certainly talk about um, high-performing teams and cultures of innovation. And there's certainly some really great case studies out there. You don't have to look far, um, especially here in Australia, you know, just across to New Zealand. The New Zealand All Blacks uh, were a really great case study around um, a high-performing principles and values-based team that completely turned that, um, their success around or their, um, their failures around towards success. So um, yeah, without a doubt.
Absolutely. A culture yeah. of safety. And even, um, you know, our very first or second uh, podcast episode with Reg Crawford um, touched on that as well. Yeah, and I love it. And I love what Reg reminded us of uh, that, uh, you know, one of the most decorated special forces commanders in the country um, speaks to his uh, men around uh, vulnerability. I mean, mm. that's, that's kind of been, most people couldn't even get their head around that a, a special forces commander would bring vulnerability into a, a high performing yeah. Um, mindset. I mean, that's. I mean, that's brilliant. That's fantastic. Uh, and he's giving people just a permission to have safe conversations. Um, you know, in, in the art of of, of theatre of battle. Well, we should get him back, actually. Yeah, we should actually. We should uh, hit him up for a, a conversation. Yeah. Someone, um, as in my uh, lead up to the episode, actually, someone recommended a book to me around the topic of imposter syndrome. Now, caveat, I haven't read this book, um, but my friend, a friend of mine, um, recommended uh, the book, The Secret Thoughts of Successful Women by Valerie Young. And it's, um, it, I'm just reading, it's got a four and a half star or a four star Goodreads review. So um, there's something that I'm probably worth um, jumping into. Uh, the reviews are really excellent. Um, hmm. Yeah, great. Yeah, fantastic, Jim. The other, actually, the other um, book um, that I'm a, a big proponent of is a, there's a gentleman called Stephen Hayes, and he started this um, uh, this movement in psychology called Active Commitment Therapy, and um, he's got this great book called The Liberated Mind, mm. and he really brought this notion of um, experiential avoidance and what that actually means, and how to actually feel and engage and bring things out into the open. It's it's a bit of a theme in terms of this dialogue with you and I bringing stuff up and bringing it out and it's that old, you know, what res- what you resist will persist and what you bring in and experience at a sensory level, whether it's through dialogue, feeling, mindfulness, um, you actually give it permission to come and go. You're not hanging on to anything. So um, some of these mindful-based programs and tools um, that we're doing at the moment um, at their core, the, the, the central practice is, is to be able to sit in the middle of any experience and not identify it, but, but really, you know, feel it at a visceral level and just give it the permission to come and go, not hanging on to anything and not even identifying it. But that's the opposite to avoidance, mm. that perfectionist corporate culture that we see around in a lot of the, um, you know, the big firms that we've had um, dealings with um there's a tacit energy around perfectionism and uh, performance expectations of partners and others and not wanting to show any vulnerability and and hopefully um these walls are starting to break down because they're not the organizations of the future Mm, without absolutely Um, a liberated mind the essential guide to act by stephen hayes h-a-y-e-s i'll look that up um, and I've bookmarked it. That sounds really great. Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah, yeah, it's a good one. And I'm, I'm pretty keen to look at that book you just mentioned as well. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, a, it's an important topic, especially, you know, I work with a lot of people, as I mentioned, in the creative and marketing industries. And you know, we, we're currently running our third annual uh, mental health in creative and tech survey, which has really um, eye-opening outcomes over the last couple of years. So I'm conscious of what's going to be included in this year. Really, it's a such an important topic and I'm so glad that we were able to touch on it so you know really. yeah it's a great yeah, and, and thanks for doing that work Jim and I, I'm a massive proponent of work that you do at Tank within this area you're just really bringing stuff out airing it out and bring it out in the open and that's just it's just you live you're really allowing people to liberate themselves oh cheers I appreciate that well it's been another good chat thank you so yeah. much man. yeah thanks Jim yeah really good to connect eh? and um yeah stay safe stay healthy and I'll see you in about three weeks we'll record another Fantastic. Thanks, Jim. We'll chat soon. Bye. Bye.